Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Lisa C. is the author of Lady Tan's Circle of Women. Lisa is the New York Times bestselling author of The Island of Sea Women, The Tea Girl of Hummingbird Lane, Snowflower and the Secret Fan, which I loved, Peony and Love, Shanghai Girls, China Dolls, and Dreams of Joy, which debuted at number one. She is also the author of On Gold Mountain, which tells the story of her Chinese-American family's settlement in Los Angeles. She was the recipient of the Golden Spike Award from the Chinese Historical Association of Southern California and the History Makers Award from the Chinese-American Museum. She was also named National Woman of the Year by the Organization of Chinese American Women. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your latest novel, Lady Tan's Circle of Women. Beautiful, beautiful cover, beautiful book. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just really delighted to have a chance to talk to you. Oh, you too. I have, uh, I've been a fan since Snowflower and the Secret Fan. You must get tired of having everybody say that to you. Um, so Never. I'm sorry. <laughs> Started never get on, tired of it. Jump on the bandwagon, but was so excited when this novel came out and everything. So let's start by you telling listeners a little bit about what Lady Tan Circle of Women is is about. And congratulations, by the way, on it being a Sarah Selects title. I really love that book club as well. So 
Oh, that's great. So it's based on the true story of a woman doctor in the Ming Dynasty. So 500 years ago, right? That was really amazing to me that such a woman would even exist and be practicing medicine. But what was amazing about her is that in 1511, when she turned 50, she published a book of her medical cases. And all of her cases were women and girls. And so this is actually the first time that I've written a novel that is actually about someone as opposed to, you know, Snowflower and the Secret Fan, where it has the secret writing as the historic backdrop, you know, where it's more of a general idea of a historic backdrop, Island of Sea Women, the diving women of, of Jeju Island. So this, you know, was really inspired by her. She was a remarkable woman in her time. I think she would be considered remarkable even today. You know, one reason that her book is still in print 500 years later, we should all be so lucky, is that many of her remedies are still used in traditional Chinese medicine today. Amazing. And it was so interesting to see even to get the frame of view of what they were doing medically and how things like leeches were just so common and like just how you set the stage. No, actually, they didn't use leeches. I, I think I used that as a comparison is that, you know, you know, many people don't really know about traditional Chinese medicine. But if you think if you're reading it and think, oh, this seems backward. If you think where we were, the West was in terms of medicine at that time, it really was things like leeches and and you know sawing people's arms off with with no anesthesia and stuff like that. Uh, so they were really far more advanced in how they were looking at medicine than we were here in the West. Sorry, I mixed that up. <laughs> I That's okay. It's early, it's early <laughs> in the morning. Thank you. Thank you. Well. Tell me where this idea came from. And I know this was a pandemic. I read this was a pandemic book of yours and something on the bookshelf caught your eye. Tell me right. the tell me the story behind the whole thing. Yeah, so I had thought I knew what the next book was going to be. I'd been quietly doing research on it. And then when the pandemic hit, I, you know, I, I couldn't do that book because it was going to require a trip deep, deep, deep into a very, very remote part of China. No way I could have done that in 2020. And even now I'd be a little reluctant to go anywhere that remote in the world. I mean, this this for this particular book, it was just a very, very remote part of China. Anyway, I then was spent the next few months of the pandemic moping around. <laughs> My life is over. <laughs> I can't do the thing I like to do. You know, because also all of the research libraries, all of the archives, everything was closed. So, you know, not only could I not go to where I write about, I couldn't do research on where I write about. Anyway, it wasn't until October of 2020. So you can see I spent quite a few months just at loose ends, uh, like all of us or many of us. And there was a day I was just walking right here. And you can't see this, but these are my uh, research books and there are another three bays of them. And uh, the spine of one of them kind of jumped out at me. I really don't know. I feel like this must have been fate or destiny or something that it just, you know, all of a sudden out of that shelf popped out. And it was a light gray jacket with slightly darker gray lettering. No reason for it to jump out, but it did. And I pulled it down, reproducing women, pregnancy and childbirth in the Ming Dynasty. I had had that book on my shelf for 10 years and had never opened it. And I thought, oh, well, you know, here we are in the middle of a pandemic. My life is over. <laughs> I, might, I might as well sit down and start reading right now, which I did. I sat down right over there. 
And on page 19, there was a mention of Tanyan Shen. And I looked her, you know, I just, I just thought this is so amazing. I came to the computer, I looked her up. And um, within, you know, 26 hours, I knew that she is, I was going to be writing about her. And that was so completely different than any other book that I've written. Usually I think about something, you know, for 5, 10, 15, even 20 years Tea Girl of Hummingbird Lane. I had that idea in my head for 20 years before wow. I finally found my my way into that story. So this was completely different. And then the research was completely different because, again, I couldn't go to China to do the research. I couldn't go to any of the research libraries. So all of the research was done in a completely different way, new way for me. So mostly online, I'm assuming lots of Well, there was some stuff that was online. You know, there were certain books that I was looking for that ordinarily I might be able to get them from one of the research libraries at UCLA, but I couldn't. So I actually set aside some money that I thought, well, this is the money I would have spent going to China, uh, you know, on the airfare and hotel and food. And so I used that to buy books um, that that I wouldn't, I couldn't get otherwise. And um, some of these were pretty rare. So <laughs> more than one usually spends on a book, but I felt like I had to do that. But the main thing was that I reached out to different scholars. And ordinarily, I just read their work. But this time, I just felt like I really needed to talk to people. And these scholars, you know, around the country, but also around the world were unbelievably helpful to me. And so giving of their time. Um, There was one professor at Harvard who, you know, in this field, he's kind of the the god of Chinese studies, you know. <laughs> and he just talked to me, you know, many, many times. And it was only recently that I had the thought that, oh, maybe they were feeling as at loose ends as I was, you know, that they couldn't do the thing that they do. And that here I was, you know, sending them a note saying, would you talk to me about how would you send a letter in the Ming Dynasty? You know, that I couldn't find that. Or how long would it take to travel from here to there in 1496? You know, these very, very specific things. But there are people out there who have, you know, spent years doing research on things like that. The funny thing is, like, nobody would be able to notice if you were wrong. Like, let's say you said it was two weeks instead of a week to get from point A to point B. It's not like you're the average reader would be able to say something, but clearly you are just dead set on having it all be just right, which is amazing. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you're, that is true. And the fur, this is the novel that takes place the furthest back in time of, of any of my books. And so there, that's great because people don't know, but I, I would know. Yeah, And it's really important for me to get those facts correct. But I also find that some of that stuff is just really interesting. Mm-hmm. And that because how we live today, and even if we said 100 years ago or 200 years ago, we have a sense of you know how people lived 100 years ago. We've all read The Great Gatsby. We've seen movies that take place in the 20s. We could imagine what it's like to be 
a pioneer in this country, you know, because we've all read Laura Ingalls Wilder. Uh, we we can imagine Elizabethan England because we've all, you know, read or seen something written by Shakespeare. So we kind of have a sense of how their lives worked and what their clothes looked like. But to um, really think about that then and, you know, that's a long time ago and just certain basic things that then when you get to them and you think, oh, I mean, to me, I find it fascinating. So what were some of the things? I don't know. I don't know if other people will, but I find it fascinating no, of to course, see how so, people live their lives and how they got from here to there and what what were the issues and what were the concerns and, and how did you get around certain kinds of things? And even just, you know, making a cup of tea. You know, that that you're not just turning on the gas. There's something more behind it. Well, I think anyone who's interested in sort of human emotions and human behavior and wants right. to put themselves in someone else's shoes, you have to know what the shoes feel like. You know, like exactly. the, the binding of the shoes here and how much pain people are in. And you need the context to get to the emotional truth sometimes. Exactly. And, you know, women in those days, especially elite women. So she was a doctor. So she was, you know, married to a, an, into an elite family as well. That women in those days in that class were, you would think on some level that their lives were better, but in many ways, their lives were so constricted, you know, that, that they weren't allowed out into the world. And so the, everything just revolved around these women's rooms where there you were every day, day after day with all of your husband's relatives <laughs> and and the your sisters-in-law and the aunties and the concubines and the second and third wives and all of these people who may not have had your best interest at heart. But the novel is called Lady Tan's Circle of Women. That circle of women part seemed really important to me that and and i think during the pandemic i i really because i felt isolated i think we all felt isolated and and it took us time to figure out things like zoom where at least we could you know see each other a little bit and how important that connection is to us whether it's now or it was you know 500 years ago or 500 years from today that we need to make those connections. And, and it's not just the one-on-one. -on -one. It is those circles of people who help us, who support us, who love us, who allow us to do the things that we love to do or see us through terrible times. And that those circles can shift in our lives, I think, over time. But And sometimes we don't even recognize when we have them. And I just think, especially during those long months of isolation that I personally really thought a lot about friendship and what that has meant to me in my own life and how it gives women such comfort, but also fortitude. What is, tell me about your own circle of women. Tell me about your good friend. Like who is your circle now and how has that shifted? Like, do you still have friends from college? Like where are your friends from now? What is your structure? Well, you know, unfortunately, most of my friends live in other places. <laughs> so, you know, I have a very, one of my oldest friends is in Dallas now. Uh, another one is up in Santa Barbara. So they're, they're further away. But I think that that also has meant that the time that we're together is all the more important. And 
I'm sure you've had this experience of people who you have who have known you the longest. It's like you see each other and you it's like instantly stripped away all of the stuff of who we are in the world. And you're right back to being in the seventh grade, you know, that you, you know, each other in this very pure way before you became the person you became and that, that you can connect on that level right away. And I think, I think that this is something pretty common with people, especially if it's a really old relationship. It's like, we have that phrase, you know, they knew me when, Mm -hmm. or I knew her when, but I think it's that when part, it's the, that it's stripped away of all of the things that we've added on to our lives. You know, oh, I became a mother. Oh, I became a writer. Oh, I play tennis and I like to hike. You know, all of those things that start to identify us. But it, once you get all of that off of you, then you're you're at your core person. And I think that that's where you know, a really great friend sees through that to to the core of who you are. The other thing about friendship, and I'm sure you have experienced this yourself, is that it is unlike any other relationship that we have in our lives. We will tell a friend something that we wouldn't tell, you know, our mother, our husband, a boyfriend, a lover, our children. It's a very, very particular kind of intimacy. And of course, whenever you have your heart open like that, you are vulnerable to being hurt. So I think it's fair to say that in my novels that I I always, I do come back to friendship a lot. And it's for the reasons we've been talking about that it's that love, it's that support, it's the people who give you the strength to keep going forward in often very difficult circumstances. But there is that dark shadow side or the potential for those dark shadows. And it's like, wherever I see those dark shadows, that's that's where I want to go. So interesting. I feel like with friendships, it's so easy to say, well, I'm not going to make time. You know, I can't do that. I have to focus on this or I have to focus on my family or my work or this, that. Like, of course, I would love to see my girlfriends, but that's hard right. to, it's hard to justify that time when in fact, that is the time that sustains you and enables you to do all the rest of the stuff. Yeah. And sometimes just even being able to go for a walk mm-hmm. you know, with a friend and, and you're grabbing time, you know, trying to grab this moment just so that you can connect in this very special way. And it, it gives us... It fuels us, you know, it gives us so much. And like I said, it's just a unique relationship that we have in our lives. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma 
eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time so true and i think very different than male friendship you know it's just very intimate and it and it does so much follow the path of women's lives you know how it changes and evolves depending on where we are in our lives you know and and when we're teenagers or when we're you know in kindergarten or when we when we first have kids and actually some of my closest friends now are from my older son's kindergarten class Mm -hmm. because we all came together at this moment and then it was like okay we're all gonna go out trick-or-treating together and oh well let's all go do this together and that it was about the kids but over time it really became about the parents and about the moms especially I have a uh, I have a great group from my kids. My twins' preschool class it was like a great uh-huh. class. We still get together for breakfast and this and that. And I know at any moment I could text any one of them and say, so, you know, and actually one of our core in that whole group ended up passing away. She had ovarian cancer. And it was one of the most painful losses because it's not like she and I talked on the phone every single day, but we were all like this interlocked web yes. and one piece fell off. And so- yeah. I don't know, you know, these nets are what catch us through the Mm -hmm. hardest times. So I totally get it. Tell me more, back to the book, tell me more about your, how you went about writing. You did all this research. How did you synthesize all the information and then pivot to the writing time versus the researching time? And how do you like get into that? How do you stay super creative and tapped into a character while integrating all of the different facts? And like, how long did that whole thing take and how many hours a day were you at it and all of that? Yes. So a book typically takes about two years. The majority of time is the research. The the writing is actually the least amount of time. And then the editing is somewhere in the middle. When I'm (laughs) (laughs) when I'm when I'm doing research, I I love it so much. To me it's like a big treasure hunt. I never know what I'm going to find and I can spend hours and hours and hours every day. But when I'm writing, I only write, I write a thousand words a day, which is just four pages. It's not very much, but I I, I keep a notebook where I keep track of, of how many words I've written in a day. And sometimes I'm at like 997 and I have to stay here until I get that final bit. 
because I have to do the thousand. And so sometimes I can do that in about two hours. Sometimes it takes me eight. I know if it's eight, it's probably not very good, but I will stay here until I get it done. And then with editing, I find that to be exhausting. I really do. That's the most exhausting for me. And when I first start, you know, the first draft is just awful. I think most writers will say that. (laughs) And so if I can do 10 pages in a day, I feel like I've really accomplished something. But then by the end, you know, several drafts in, I'm up at like 40, 50 pages a day. So it's, it's just a long process. But for me, that's where I really shape the novel. I do write from the beginning to the end straight through. You know, the, you, you talk to a lot of writers, you know, there's no one way or a right way. Some people make the first sentence perfect and the first paragraph perfect and the first page perfect. I just go all the way to the end. And then I, you know, then I shape it as I'm writing. The one thing I would say about that, there was some part of one of your questions. Now I forgot it that I thought, oh, I, I had a, I had an interesting answer. But oh, I can't remember. Synthesizing research. Oh, yes. So, yes, that was it. So I know when I'm ready to write, when the first line, uh, when the last line comes to me, mm-hmm. I write the last line first. And once I have that last line, then I can, I know where I'm going, you know, and, and bad things happen in my books. I, I can't deny it. But when I know that what the ending is, it's like the emotional place that I want to end. That's to me, the light at the end of the tunnel. And so whatever is happening as I'm writing, I know that I'm writing towards that. And then the other thing I would say about the research is I I do it all myself. I never know what I'm going to find. I look at it like it's a huge treasure hunt. You know, I'm just so excited. Like, what am I going to find? What am I? <laughs> and then I do find things. And I just, and there are moments where I'll find something and I'll just think, oh, I've got to use that. You know, like, oh. and so in this book, I don't think it gives too much away to say that the scene with the worm, when there's something written on the baby's foot and something that happens in front of the empress, all of the all three of those happened to real women and when i read those stories of what had happened to those particular real women i was just like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> come on down worm <laughs> you know, like, i just i just it triggers my imagination but I, it's also like oh i've just i just got to have that so those things also inspire me along the way uh, of something that I know that I want to use, um, but it comes out of the research. Like I could not have made up that worm just out of, <laughs> from nowhere. <laughs> as you got your career underway and as it continues to go, who have been some of the most influential people, either like a first teacher who was supportive or somebody who navig- helped you navigate being a best-selling author for the first time, or it, who are the, some of the people that stand out to you? Well, my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Bruin Slot, and she loved history. And, she, and this was when you learn American history. And she really felt that history was about real people. And she would have us do all kinds of plays, actually. And I have red hair, people who are just listening and can't see. And so I always got to be Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> I know a lot about Thomas Jefferson, but the, that her feeling was that if you could 
stand in their shoes, that then you could understand what they were doing. And of course, that idea, and you touched on it earlier too, that that that's what I want to do is just be in their shoes, be in their clothes and, and try to understand in the moment, like being in the room with those people, the people that I'm writing about. That's That's the goal for me. The other person who would have to be much bigger than Mrs. Bruinslot would be my mother and uh, Carolyn C. My mother was a writer and her father was a writer as well. So I I feel in many ways like I had a lifelong apprenticeship. You know, sometimes I joke around, well, it's a good thing they weren't plumbers, but why couldn't they have been brain surgeons? <laughs> But when I was doing research for something, my mother's papers are at UCLA Special Collections, and I was looking through some of the old correspondence. And when she was in college, her father wrote her a letter saying, you know, if you want to be a writer, if you want to be a writer, you need to write a thousand words a day. Wow. And of course, he wrote that to her when she was something like 20. It was something that my mother always said to me. It was something that she taught in her classes. And... So I, I think just the discipline, but also how you would think about editing and publishing. My mother, you know, she, she's gone now, but she was writing and publishing novels, but also doing magazine work in, in the 1960s. And if you think about it, there just really weren't that many women writers who were who were doing, who were journalists or who were writing fiction and if there were some they were mostly in New York my mom was here in Los Angeles and so there are many people who look at her as sort of the godmother of west coast letters she supported so many writers and influenced so many younger writers all the way to today i get emails or you know i'll run into someone who will say your mother meant so much to me and she's the one who helped me get published and i but they she was their teacher she was my mom and the fact that i had watched her go through this process and People were mean to her, you know, could be very mean to her. And I can remember just sometimes she'd be on the couch on the phone with an editor and just weeping, but trying to be brave. You know, it's like she should be dabbing her eyes. You couldn't, the editor couldn't see what was happening, but I could see it. Wow. And I, I think that, I mean, for sure, that really stuck with me. There have been times when I've had editors that have been very difficult you know, one editor was very mean to me and would write things in the margins like, what kind of an odious person would write a sentence like this? And I'm reading that and it's like, well, the answer is me. Um, you know? <laughs> this kind of odious person. This kind of, I mean, and, and that kind of, there's no reason for that, for an editor to ever write something like that, but they they can and they do. And sometimes. And so I, I never would have had the strength to get through the editing of that particular book if I hadn't watched everything that my mother had gone through mm -hmm. over the years. I mean, she really gave me such strength um, to deal with, I think, the, the more business side of uh, writing and publishing. Amazing. Lisa, I feel like we're only scratching the surface, but 
<laughs> we'll have to do it another time. We'll have to keep it going in person in LA in the store. Yes, in the store. And when when you come out, you have to let me know and I'll come on down and, and visit you. I'd love that. Me too. I would love that. Thank you so much. And, you know, just all your insight and all of it and the writing and the research, you're really, it's really inspiring. So anyway, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. My pleasure. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.